Welcome to Friars and Film. We are three Catholic priests from the Order of Preachers, and we're here, as always, to talk about the movies. Welcome back, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Whether your Christmas leans more towards the side of the Christ Child or Santa Claus, we're going to... We're going to talk about that today. We're talking about a highly controversial film, <laughs> The Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> um, this was my suggestion. I am Father Timothy, joined as always by Father Luke, Father Allen. Though this was my suggestion, um, for me it was a turnover on downs. I described this to you. This was an interception. This film... Uh, <laughs> I probably like this the least out of us. I thought it would be good. I actually watched the updated version as a child and found it to be um, delightful. I don't, I don't know what happened this time, but I just I threw it to where I thought the receiver was going to be. He's my best receiver, and somebody stepped in the way. So you guys can really t- – I'm, I'm going to take over, and um, I'm going to suggest another film to present next time, which we'll say at the end. Um, Father Luke, I believe you like this movie most. And again, Hold on. Not, wait, wait, what, what? How did I give that impression? I, I don't think we ever settled that. I don't want to be noticed. Right, let's, let's say this. <laughs> let's not begin in a place of like or dislike. What what issues for the both of you, what topics, what ideas does this movie bring about? There's an intro. All right. Well, let me go first since mine's going to be the more obvious point. I, I've been vaguely aware that there's a little bit of controversy among Christians about whether Santa Claus is an adequate, and, and the whole apparatus of Santa Claus, the North Pole, the elves, and so on, whether this whole narrative is an adequate expression of the mystery of Christmas. Now, we should at least, let me just step in. The, the movie, in a nutshell, is the real Santa Claus comes and sits in the Macy's Day Parade, and then he spends a lot of time with this family, in their apartment, and then he's put on trial, and the court decides he's Santa Claus. That's the story, yeah, but, <laughs> right? Okay, I'm just saying, just to wrap sure, it up. Sure, sure. No, but the thing about this movie is, so I've, I've never really taken a strong stance in this debate. I've never worried too much about Santa Claus as a kind of Christian symbol. But when I was watching this movie, and maybe it was just because I was sort of distracted, it was too long, or... The trial scene with Santa Claus was especially trying. Just all the tension the and drama. Of disbelief. And... Yeah, the drama was a bit, was a bit melodrama. It took a long time. <laughs> it was multiple days. This question hit me. I thought to myself, how did a Christian feast, the Christian feast of the nativity, become this? This man with his twinkling eyes and at Macy's talking about these abstract qualities of of love and joy and even before that i I turned that into a moralizing question it's just a question of how how did the feast and the nativity the symbols of which are uh, mary and joseph and and the creche and the angels how was that all replaced by the iconography of uh of reindeer and so yeah I i was especially hit by that discrepancy and i guess i'm sort of 
worrying about it more than I used to. And I was just talking to a young mother who said that she recently was worried about lying to her, her young son, who's four or five, as they bake cookies for Santa. So it's recently become a little more real for me, this problem. Wow, that seems so tough. It seems like you're really in a quandary. <laughs> and this only a few days before the Lord's nativity itself. What, maybe we'll, we'll bring peace to your earth, this podcast, and solve it. I've always been a, um, a defender of telling children about Santa Claus as, as if he's real. And that's probably, just to be honest, probably the main reason for that is that I still remember my own childhood memories of imagining Santa Claus coming to our house on Christmas Eve night and um, the presents he would bring. I just remember that as being such a magical, <laughs> magical thing. And for me, it never really conflicted with our belief in Christ or our focusing on Christ um, for Christmas. It just, it, it was just sort of like a added, you know, superficial, but indeed in just an added layer of the magic which was indeed all rooted in on the, the moment of the actual original Christmas miracle, which is Christ, his coming. But yeah, I mean, the whole this whole movie seems to, it's funny because it is so kind of conventional and uh, you, it's, it's, it's literally set in, in the Macy's department store, all sorts of corny sequences. So it's easy to, easy to mock it. And I think um, we have, have done as much in our own viewing of it. But so it does touch on these big themes of, of the question of Santa Claus and what's at stake in a parent telling their child about the Santa Claus story and, and that as if Santa Claus exists. Um, I think the best way to think of it is that it can it perhaps is just teaching a child to be properly disposed to the possibility of a beneficent universe that is oriented towards the gratuitous love and gift giving uh, of human persons, right? And maybe that's, maybe that's the, what, what's the girl's name? Uh, Susan Walker, right? She's the little girl in this, in this movie. You know, maybe, maybe that's the great grace that she's given. She's, she's being invited to live in it f from living in a universe, which she's been taught is merely reduced to the practical, to what can be seen and weighed and measured, and she's been invited into an, into a universe that is open to the possibility of a beneficent force that is beyond um, what what she can see and feel and measure um, in a kind of positivist way. Do you want me to drop the Chesterton quote right now? Should, should we just yeah. do that right yeah. now? Why not? All right. So here's a little here's a little Chesterton quote which we were chatting about earlier. Chesterton to me has always sort of summed up the best way of thinking about Santa Claus in a positive way from a Christian's perspective. And he wrote, he wrote a, a fair amount about, about this, but here's just, um, just one, just one uh, little excerpt. These are just four sentences here. He says, as a child, I was faced with a phenomenon requiring explanation. I hung up at the end of my bed, an empty stocking, which in the morning became a full stocking. I had done nothing to produce the things that filled it. I had not worked for them or made them or helped to make them. I had not even been good, far from it. And the explanation was that a certain being whom people called Santa Claus was benevolently disposed toward me. What we believed was that a certain benevolent agency did give us those toys for nothing. 
And as I say, I believe it still. I've merely extended the idea. So a, a great quote, and, and what, what I think is marvelous about it is that I've, I've actually heard people say that discovering that Santa Claus was not real, it kind of it was sort of the preparation for them beginning to disbelieve in God. Whereas what Chesterton is saying here that his experience of Santa Claus was what actually kind of disposed him to be someone who believes in God, who's open to the gift of faith. Pretty good um, apology for Santa Claus. I actually did you, did you, sorry. Did, did you read the um, the part about him coming out of his own stockings? Oh, let's see here. That's the best one. Well, that one he had was good too. But you we, gotta uh, do the, the other one too. Let's see. Where is this one? Okay, here we go. Once I thought it delightful and astonishing to find a present so big that it only went halfway into the stocking. Now I am delighted and astonished every morning to find a present so big that it takes two stockings to hold it and then leaves a great deal outside. It is the large and preposterous present of myself, as to the origin of which I can offer no suggestion except that a Santa Claus gave it to me in a fit of peculiarly fantastic goodwill. Not, not bad. Okay, so, so the practice of receiving gifts on Christmas expresses our whole experience of, of existence. Because everything yeah. around us is, is a gift that we just wake up to. Right. And for children in the whole world of make-believe, this is, this is actually one of the make-believe figures that extends very easily to Christ, because Christ is the benevolent one who was far off that came near. He thinks of us. He watches our deeds. I'm mm -hmm. just echoing Chester and saying, but I extended this. I actually, the, just the news that's dawning on me is I didn't think I have, any, have anything to say this podcast, but I have a few things in mind now. Thank you for this discussion first is that i'm actually surprised father allen how late you are to the game i mean i think a lot of us have thought about this for years or heard people argue it and the fact that this movie this week did this for you for the first time i actually think that disqualifies Look, I you i was aware i was aware of the controversy i don't think it disqualifies the argument that you're standing for it may disqualify you as a as a as the lawyer in this That's in this harsh. courtroom no 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 I mean, my, my only two things to add would be this, is it reminds me, too, of a thing with characters. I think this is part of the magic of when, when, when children loved this film, when I, as a child, I did remember liking the updated one. I think the reason is, is sort of the same as that. There's this far-off, mysterious person who's good, who does good things, but the fact that you actually can spend a whole movie with him, all this extra time does have its own kind of magic on an audience. A lot of Christmas movies use that trope of, you know, what if we got to not just see Santa at a distance with his sleigh, but what if we got to see his daily life, right? Mm -hmm. I do think that's a character kind of device. I mean, you can also have it for evil. Let's shift briefly to um, Harry Potter books and movies another controversial topic not to dive into there but again like the main villain he who shall not be named voldemort he um there i said it part of the fear is that until you reach the end of book four he's he, you don't see him really 
is that he's the worst thing ever, and yet he's always kind of near or around. I just think that's powerful for good or evil characters that when they're, you know they're out there somewhere. And that's actually kind of a, a very, very effective way. And I think that's what this movie plays on as well, is that it's gripping because, wow, you, he's, we get to, this is the real Santa, and he's in Macy's, and he's in the parade, and he's sitting with this mm-hmm. girl. I guess I, I just lost the taste for that. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, but I agree. That, that is part of the appeal. And actually, right. you know, you're reminding me of one of these delightful, we, we, as children, we actually had these little comic books which were about Santa Claus and just about his everyday life and like Santa Claus going camping, Santa Claus going on vacations. And that, that, that was the, the appeal that you're describing, which is just to see Santa Claus in his everyday life. Well, I was but, thinking uh, that it interestingly parallels the incarnation because just as Santa Claus embodies and personalizes these invisible values like brotherhood and joy and altruism and things like that, Jesus visibly shows up as God with a human face. So there's something similar there. And, you know, again, you can ask the question, is this some sort of allegory, some expression of uh, Christianity, or is it actually an alternative? Is it a rival? And I think that the, the case is that it can really be both. So I mean, it can it can it can be used as a replacement, um, which is why a lot of Christians get worried about it. But it, I guess yeah. But we're also what we're also discovering is that is that it need not, and that it can potentially be a, a vehicle for um, and something totally consonant, you know, with the faith. Yeah. I'll say on the negative side. Here we go. Bring it on. I, I live in an international house, and so I I get to talk to friars who have you know worldwide experience about things and. One is a Spanish friar I was speaking to recently. And he said that when he was growing up, when he was in elementary school, um, they got gifts on Epiphany, and they got them from the Magi. So early January, there was a parade or something. And and maybe you, maybe you would get something on St. Nicholas's feast day, which is in early December. But you you wouldn't get gifts um, from Santa on Christmas. I know the same but, thing. But he said now he said once he, when he was a teenager, people in Spain started to do that. So that now, it's just as likely that you would get gifts at the end of December from Santa as it is that you would get them uh, from the Magi in early January. That's so, Amer- that's Americanization yeah, at its so that, finest. So that Americanization Absolutely. is is moving over. And it goes it goes all the way to the Far East. So somebody who's familiar with Japanese culture today was telling me that basically what you do on Christmas, apparently, or some people do in Japan, is they go to KFC. <laughs> so they understand that it's like America Day. You go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he also said it has this Valentine's character. So it's kind of a day when you – it's a romantic day. So you bring your, your love interest to KFC on Christmas and there's you know a picture of Santa at KFC but he also said this on the positive side or on the the deeper side maybe that Christmas does carry these these connotations of human fraternity and care for the poor and sort of warmth in the human family and so and he even said that ostensibly Buddhism and maybe some of these other traditions don't value human fraternity and sort of care for your neighbor as much as Christianity. And so 
so this kind of Christmas spirit still adds that that element or adds to that element in these uh, these other cultures. Just a quick thing. I don't I don't think I can resolve the Christmas debate. Um, I could see the side where you know it, it can lead towards materialism. It does involve some lying. Um, certainly, and yet on the other side, as Chesterton says, it's it's sort of of a child's imaginary world. It's sort of one of the best versions that can be closest aligned to Christianity. But I, I, just a fun story instead of a resolution for for my part. Two weeks ago, after Sunday Mass here, there were these this young couple that just had their first baby, and there were these two Italian women, like actually, you know, born in Italy. One in one is Carla from like the Tuscany Luca area and then Magda who's from Abruzzo and they're both like mid-70s and very authoritative and fun you know the type I mean it's so I kind of pulled them over and I said hey give some advice for uh, this young couple they said oh we like your baby you know they're looking at the baby and I said give some advice and one of them immediately goes into what you were saying Father Alan Carla was saying you cannot give them toys at Christmas you must wait for the epiphany. <laughs> epiphany is the day. I never do this. I never do this. And the other one's saying, no, it's fine. It's beautiful. It's great. And it was this ongoing, it was entertaining, but they were actually like, yeah. they're both very serious about do we accept this or not? Because neither of them grew up with that. Both of them admit that we only had gifts at epiphany. They were very simple, food, money, whatever. But it, it does seem to be an Americanization. But it was it was also in the sense of, I don't know. I, I'm also fascinated by how how heated this argument can get. I don't get heated, but I'm it it, it, it does get heated. Wow. And I mean, there's the question of do you give gifts on Christmas or on Epiphany? But then there's also the question of uh, which I think is actually even more of an important thing to address, which is do you celebrate Christmas throughout December? Or do you wait for the celebration of Christmas on December 25th? You know, and as, as, as Christians, as Catholics, you know, I think we are very sensitive or aware of that, of, of um, just because we have our whole entire liturgical season of Advent, which is not Christmas. It's the time of preparation for Christmas throughout December. You know, while we're preparing for Christmas, we're hearing uh, Christmas carols. We're seeing Christmas decorations everywhere. I was in this little Chesterton research. I was um, struck to hear Chesterton um, talk about this exact thing very strongly. Uh, here, here's what he says about about the habit of celebrating Christmas throughout December. He says, "There's no more dangerous or disgusting habit than that of celebrating Christmas before it comes. Wow. It is the very essence of a festival that it breaks upon one brilliantly and abruptly." That at one moment the great day is not, and the next moment the great day is. Up to a certain instant you are feeling ordinary and sad, for it is only Wednesday. At the next moment your heart leaps up and your soul and body dance together like like lovers. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, just uh, it's. I think I think that you know that that may be the the, mo the most pressing question of just uh, of and what sort of distinguishes us as as Christians from the rest of the culture around us. Do, do you wait and, for and the twenty fifth to can, celebrate Christmas? You can celebrate Christmas after that too, because it's a, it's a time. Period. Exactly right. It goes right. to Epiphany, at least, and then somehow also to the presentation at the beginning exactly. of February. Right. I'd also just say, though, I think we, we all could agree on this, that 
we usually, from our own childhood memories, I mean, we all kind of grew up among... I mean, we weren't raised by, like, Therese Martin's parents, you know. Our <laughs> parents were, like, Catholics but American parents, right? Sure. And I think all of us have mostly amazing Christmas memories. And my family did kind of listen to music early and celebrate early, but we still went to Mass and we still mm-hmm. tried to carry I mean, I'm not so sure these things are as high stakes as sometimes parents with perfectionism today. You'd be like, what are we going to do? It's like, I think there's, 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 there's room for the sacred and the secular frankly, just from sure. mine and so many others' memories. Yeah. Either of you aware of any kind of scarring uh, so I, from, I, from the Santa? I think I, just, I think I just said clearly. Well, no. no. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> I'm not okay, being so defensive. It, I, I just... No, but, but over, overall it was fine. But I was just saying, did you have... Was there a period of... Of darkness and depression. I remember the moment. I was in third yeah. grade. I remember the seat I was in. I was in the second row, third grade, Mrs. Lorenzi. And Julie Paul, my classmate, told me there was no Santa. And I was like, it was like a revelation. It was kind of a curious feeling. I wasn't disappointed. It was just sort of like, okay, now I see how it works. But I was kind yeah. of at the age where you're ready to accept that. And then I went through a slight denial because that same Christmas... My mom was sneaking a uh, some uh, whatever a present up up the steps, and she hadn't told me that there was no Santa. Julie Paul did, and her friend yeah. Chelsea Claus. Actually, funny enough, her name is Chelsea Claus. <laughs> I swear to you, <laughs> best friends, third grade, <laughs> and they lived a block away from us. Her her brother won the state championship for our high school for the first time ever, or. In living memory, Benji Claus. The whole Claus family lived down the street. <laughs> I can't believe this. But my, my, my mom was sneaking up a gift, and she was like, oh, Tim, you saw me. She was like, well, don't tell Kevin. He still believes in Santa. And I was like, hey, you know. I still. <laughs> I didn't still believe because I had found out earlier, but there was a slight conflict you know, I, I found out at school. I mean, an- another thing, too, though, if if children are told early like this girl, they definitely go around and spoil for all the other kids that believe in Santa. No, it kind it's of a, makes it's a way to show yourself as, as old. Because children as are as much tyrants as adults. I mean, it's oh, true. Even I even I pose that question in this Italian argument after church. I said, Carla, but what about, she goes, you, you should teach your children Santa's not real. It's about the Christ child. It's about baby Jesus. I said, but, what, but they're going to go and tell other kids. She goes, then let them tell. <laughs> just like let them make wreckage let them let them tell all the kids they want it's i said okay but that that's that's an issue you can't avoid you can't avoid the, the, both issues how do you finally break it to them or how do you avoid them from breaking it to all of their peers and there's no easy street father frank one of the uh, older friars i live with he <laughs> he has funny uh, anecdotes about him his own childhood and the questions about santa claus or whatever and one thing that he recently said he said as as a child um you know as a little eight-year-old and it's so funny for me to picture him as a little eight-year-old kid uh bespectacled kid he was like i was never quite sure about santa claus it was it was hard for me i i i, I could see both sides of of, of the argument you know <laughs> but he goes but the one that i knew even as an eight-year-old was out, just off the table he was like the easter bunny it's like there's no way that there is a little there's a big 
bunny that runs around the world dropping off big Easter baskets for people. So, uh, and there's a progression too because I remember I, I disbelieved in the tooth fairy before I disbelieved in Santa. So I was holding on to some. Mm-hmm. This is like a conversion. You hang on to some elements, let go of others. I, yeah, I don't remember any of the particulars, and I don't remember being let down by finding that he's not real. And I'm trying to think, well, what did I think? It might have been that I just thought about Santa as as similar to the boogeyman or the man under the stairs. My father would tell little stories and act, you know, pretend that a boogeyman was going to come if we didn't go to sleep. Father Giles Dimmick, who lives with us, he always imagined as a little boy a Nazi German under his bed. Because he was growing up during World War II. That was his fear. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. So if this is a majority vote, Luke and I are voting for Santa. Father Allen, you, as of this week, are voting against. But it's not a majority vote. There's a wild zone of freedom. And none of us are parents. So there you go. Thank God. Well, do we want to talk at all in the final minutes about this movie, maybe? No. Or? <laughs> no. No. There's nothing more to say. Now, I want to say one thing. The salvageable thing for me is that here is Maureen O'Hara as an actress who's middle-aged and yet very, very young is Natalie Wood. Wood. I think this is a passing of the baton because, frankly, I, I only saw Natalie Wood in West Side Story, which for me is a top movie. I love West Side oh, yeah. Story. I haven't seen her in anything else. But I was actually kind of surprised by that. That That's all I would say about the movie itself. Maybe it's a passing of baton between two iconic actresses. What more can I say besides a Santa debate? You asked me 20 years ago, I would have had a lot of things to say. <laughs> Not anymore. I've lost the magic. Well, I've already said what I have to say, too, so I'm, I'm out. My piece has been said. So what are we watching next week? Next week is a uh, film from the 1960s, Lilies of the Field. Two reasons why I wanted to watch Lilies of the Field. We'll go to it in full next time. A, it does have sort of some Catholic influence. So Sidney Poitier, he is a worker traveling around in Arizona, and he runs across, I think, some Benedictine Eastern European nuns. Is that right? He also won Best Actor. So he won the Academy Award. He's excellent, and this has some Catholic elements. So we figured. Is this with Ingrid Bergman again? Do I have a recollection that she's in Helen? I don't think so, but we'll talk about it next time. So, Lilies of the Field, until then, Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 Christ is born. I'm going to just say it all to make Father Allen widen his eyes and. Buon Natale. They know that Santa's on his way. He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. And every mother's child is gonna spy to see if reindeer really know how to fly. And so on. Simple phrase to kids from one to ninety-two. Although it's been said 
Many times, many ways, Merry Christmas. 